You're listening to Holding Space Podcast with Dr. Cassidy Freitas, licensed marriage and family therapist. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Now, let's jump in. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Holding Space Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy. I am a huge fan of a check-in, and because this is just me speaking to a mic and not being able to, in real life, real time, interact with you, I can't do a check-in to ask, hey, how are we doing? Do you feel like the content that's being shared in here is relevant to the things that you're interested in hearing about? One way in which we can interact is if you shoot me an email or leave a comment on social media. My email is cassidy at drcassidymft.com. Social media is at Holding Space Podcast and at Dr. Cassidy. Not getting direct feedback about, hey, how are we doing and doing a check-in is hard for me. So please shoot me an email or leave a comment on social media. Let me know if there are things you're interested in hearing about or people you're interested in me interviewing. I would love to receive the feedback. So today we are talking a little bit about creativity, creative flow, and how to reclaim and regain that creative flow when you're finding yourself feeling those creative blocks. Have you ever seen a child who is so engrossed with their play that it almost seems like time transcends and they're, they're not even in reality anymore? In play therapy, we would call this flow. And I believe that creative flow has the same effect. So just like a child who is lost in their play, when we are, as creatives, have found our flow, we tend to, it's almost like we get lost in the work. It's not even work anymore. But if you are a creative, you've potentially also had the experience of feeling like all right, I got to sit down, do this work, flow, come to me now. (laughs) Creative flow. Hello? Are you there? Anybody home? This can be one of the most painful experiences for a creative when you've set aside the time to work and you need to get the work done either because you have a deadline or because you got to go pick up the kids in a little bit or, you know, you have to get to your job if the creative work isn't your full-time gig. And so you finally set aside the time and you're sitting down to do the creative work. You have a blank canvas in front of you, whatever a blank canvas means for you and your work. And you can't find that flow. It's such a painful experience. So before we jump into exploring ways in which we can reclaim creative flow and move through creative blocks. Let's first define our terms. What are we talking about when we talk about creativity? Honestly, there are so many different ways in which you can define creativity. And I'm actually way more interested when I'm working with an individual who is a creative, way more interested in the language that they would use to describe their own relationship with creativity and creative work. One definition that's been offered up is the ability to transcend traditional ideas, rules, patterns, relationships, or the like, 
and to create meaningful new ideas, forms, methods, and interpretations. Another definition of creativity, and this one is by Liz Gilbert, author of Eat, Pray, Love, and Big Magic. And Elizabeth Gilbert says that the relationship between a human being and the mysteries of inspirations is creativity. The mysteries of inspiration. I really appreciate this definition because inspiration can be the thing that we feel like we've lost sight of when we feel creatively blocked. And I really appreciate how she describes it as a relationship, that there's us, the human, and then there's inspiration. And this relationship is complicated. Sometimes we feel like inspiration is right there and we feel really connected with inspiration. At other times, it can feel like inspiration is nowhere to be found. Another one of my favorite quotes in regards to creativity comes from Donatella Versace. And Donatella Versace said that creativity is a conflict of ideas. I appreciate this quote because it honors the fact that creativity can feel like a conflictual thing and ideas can be conflictual. We can struggle with having ideas, with the discovering of ideas. There may be times when our ideas conflict with themselves and we have to figure out what are we going to prioritize here? Which idea should I give myself to at this time? So I would say that the number one thing that usually stands in the way of inspiration and the creative leading to creative blocks is fear. Fear fuels resistance. Fear shows up and leads us to ask questions like, do I have any talent? No, I probably don't. My work is going to be criticized. You know what? It's already been done before. It's not going to be original. I'm going to be called out for it not being original. It isn't important enough. I probably won't even finish it. It's not going to be worth it. I'm not going to make any money, so why even try? Why even start? Why do the work? There is literally no shortage of things that we can tell ourselves that will stand in the way of us doing our creative work. There's just no shortage. Our minds have an incredible way of identifying all the ways in which we could fail, all of the dangers of doing anything. And here's the thing, is that this part of us, fear, isn't going anywhere. Let me say that again. Fear is not going anywhere. We can struggle with fear until the end of time, and fear will still be there. And the reason for this is because we actually need fear. We're hardwired for fear. There are some people in the world who maybe have zero fear or are lacking fear, and that would be some toddlers that I know and potentially some sociopaths. Neither of these are strong models for how to be in the world. We need fear. If we didn't have fear, we would be in danger of great harm every day. We're hardwired for fear as a form of protection. Part of our hard wiring for fear is that our brains are always taking in information to help us better understand how to protect ourselves, how to keep us safe, 
how to keep us from failing. Fear is trying to protect us from experiencing any type of emotional or physical pain. How does this all relate back to creativity? I'm a super visual person, so let me try to bring this to life for you with a little story about you and the relationship between you and these different parts of you, like fear, creativity, and resistance. I almost picture it as if you you take creativity by the hand and you look at creativity and you say, let's go, let's go find inspiration. And the two of you are about to head out on your creative journey with each other to find the creative flow. And then fear jumps in front of you and fear is panicking. Beads of sweat are rolling down fear's face and fear turns to you and says, don't go, don't do it. It's too scary out there. And then resistance shows up behind fear and resistance puts its hand up and says, you cannot move forward. This is not, you cannot pass. (laughs) And fear turns to creativity and says, go find another human. Me and my human are going to go sit over here on the grass where it's nice and safe and where we are free of the possibility of being judged and free of the possibility of failure. And we don't have to experience any pain. So fear takes you by the hand and leads you to the grass and turns to you and says, oh, phew, that was a close one. And leads you to the grass and sits you down and says, let me introduce you to a few of my friends. And the first friend that fear invites to your very safe grassy seat is perfectionism. Perfectionism comes in her perfect coiffed hair and her perfectly smooth face and sits down next to you and looks at you and says, you made a good choice because you know what? This is an all or nothing thing. You either need to do this creative work and it needs to be perfection or you shouldn't do it at all. And then perfectionism whispers to you. And you know what the question is that I always ask myself that really helps me to obtain my own perfectionism? And perfectionism whispers to you, what will others think? And you and fear and perfectionism sit in silence as you brood over this question. And then perfectionism scoots in closer to you and whispers to you in her perfectly crisp voice, let me introduce you to a part of you that created me. And you begin to notice in the shadows a slumped over figure moving towards you. And this slumped over figure comes to the grass and sits next to you and turns to you and says, hey, I'm shame." And shame turns to you and says, you see perfectionism over there? And you and shame turn to perfectionism and you see her in deeply painful concentration. And shame says, yeah, she's probably over there thinking about all the things that she's supposed to be and trying to figure out a way to do them all. And I created her. And you turn to shame and shame nods his head and says, yep, I created perfectionism. Because see, I'm the part of you that believes deep down at your core that you are deeply flawed. So I created perfectionism because I hoped that if you lived perfectly, looked perfectly, and act perfectly, 
maybe we can minimize or avoid the pain of blame, judgment, and shame. But I'm still here, so it didn't really work. Do you see those really fancy shoes that perfectionism is wearing? You and shame turn to perfectionism who really is wearing some pretty fancy shoes. You turn back to shame and shame says, perfectionism is really just fear in really fancy shoes. You both turn to fear and fear nods his head in agreement. You all turn back to perfectionism and you begin to notice that beyond the perfectly coiffed hair and the smooth face and the very perfectly stylish outfit and those really fancy shoes, that perfectionism really does look quite a bit like fear. And so there you sit on that safe, comfortable grass with fear, shame, and perfectionism. And you look out to where you used to be, and you notice that creativity is still there. You're surprised. You assumed by this point that creativity would have gone and found somebody else to go on the journey with. You stand up and you walk over to creativity with fear, perfectionism, and shame right behind you. And you say to creativity, hey, why are you still here? And creativity smiles and says, I'm just waiting for you. You're shocked. You didn't know that creativity would be so patient. You and all the parts of you begin to notice that there's clouds swirling around. I would call these discourse clouds. And in the howl of their wind, there's messages there. What you should be doing, what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, what it means to be a creative how you should be spending your time, how easy it should come to you, how successful you should be. If you reach this level of success, the winds howl, then you will have made it. Otherwise, don't do it. Fear is the most attuned to the messages in these clouds, and fear is trembling. You choose in that moment to take creativity's hand, and you turn to the other parts of you. And you say, hey, come with us. Fear looks up at you and is like, what? Are you crazy? It's terrifying out there. And resistance stands up and is ready to give you the message of do not pass. But you turn to resistance and fear and you say, no, come with. I know you're just trying to protect me, and I see the value in that. There may be even times that I need you to to help protect me, to help keep me safe, to help make me have the right choices. In fact, I can imagine that you fear may sometimes actually help me stay focused because I want to do the work well. You may actually motivate me. Fear turns to you and actually smiles. I didn't know you could see the value in me, fear said. Resistance begins to relax. You turn to perfectionism and you say, Hey, those shoes 
They're super fancy, but they look a little uncomfortable. Perfectionism smiles and says, yeah, they're not really that comfortable. I don't actually even like them. I just thought others would. You invite perfectionism to take off those fancy shoes. And it does. You look over at shame and you notice that shame has a different posture. You're curious about this and you ask shame, hey, what's up? And shame says to you, standing up a little straighter and says, you know, when you talk to others about me, when you're open and honest with the right people, when you don't keep me in the shadows, when you give voice to my vulnerabilities, that's actually my cure. That's actually the thing that gives less power to some of those dark feelings and dark beliefs that really weigh me down. And so there you stand with the howling discourse clouds swirling around you with your crew of fear, perfectionism, shame, resistance, and now creativity. And you take creativity's hand and you say, let's go, I'm ready. And with your whole crew, you take a step forward. Okay, so can you tell that I'm a visual person? (laughs) I think in like visuals. And so having this visualization for myself has been very useful. And let me explain why. When we find ourselves feeling stuck, Often what we first have to do is be mindful that there are these various parts of ourselves that are working on us or sometimes can feel like are working against us. If we name these parts of ourselves, what that actually does is it creates a space between the stimulus and the response, the stimulus of fear or the stimulus of shame or the stimulus of perfectionism, the stimulus of resistance and the automatic response. We have the fear thought, the thought of fear, or the thought of perfectionism, or the thought of shame, and we take that thought, and because we thought it, it must be true, and so we respond automatically to it. But by taking a moment to name these parts of ourselves, what it actually allows us to do is create a space between the stimulus and the response. It allows us to look at these parts of ourselves and to expand our understanding of them. So first we name and then we expand. And in the expanding, what we're actually doing is contextualizing, bringing context to these parts of ourselves, understanding where they come from, what are the belief systems, what are the experiences that we've had, what are the discourses that inform these parts of ourselves and give them that power. But in that expansion, it also allows us And in that contextualizing, it allows us to understand what these parts of ourselves are actually trying to do. What purpose are they trying to serve? In the creation of that space, what we can potentially begin to experience is acceptance of these parts of ourselves. So often when fear or judgment, comparison, shame, perfectionism frustration, resistance, when these things show up, we tend to respond to it in two ways. We either 
avoid it and pretend like it's not there. And that can sometimes lead to numbing behaviors, right? So finding literally anything we can do to avoid the pain. Or it can lead to a struggle where we are fighting with these parts of ourselves and trying to say, leave me alone. I want to go on this creative journey and I just need you to leave. But that's going to be a losing battle, right? We already discussed this, that these are parts of ourselves that we actually are hardwired for and at some level potentially even need. And we may argue we don't need perfectionism. Yeah, and I'd agree with that. But hey, those thoughts, those perfectionist thoughts, they're not going anywhere. So struggling with them and trying to get them to not come on the journey is a losing battle. And it's just keeping you stuck in one place while you're fighting with it. So if we actually can find ourselves saying, I'm going to drop this tug of war struggle rope. And in the dropping of the rope, realizing that it's actually giving these parts of you less power to control you in accepting that these are parts of you and that these things are going to pop up and that you can actually say, I'm going to experience these things and take a step forward and move towards creativity. I'm bringing it along. I'm accepting that these are parts of me, that these things are going to pop up. In doing that, we reclaim our position in the front of the pack with all of these parts of ourselves. And in that space, we may notice that, okay, fear isn't driving me. Perfectionism isn't driving me. I'm holding creativity's hand. I'm ready to move forward. And then there's this space that opens up where we realize we have choices. And if you turn to your pocket, you may realize that there's a compass there and you pull the compass out and you realize that there's a compass there where you actually have values. You have things that can show up and help you decide and choose what direction you want to head and what step you want to take. Bringing along all those parts of you, recognizing that at some level you're hardwired for them. At some level, they may actually serve a certain purpose and that Even if they don't, they're still going to pop up. But that you can accept that these are parts of you moving forward towards the things that are deeply meaningful and important to you. Let me share a poem with you uh, written by the 13th century Persian poet Rumi that I think really drives home some of these points. This being human is a guest house. Every morning a new arrival a joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture, still treat each guest honorably. He may be cleaning you out for some new delight. The dark thought the shame, the malice. Meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from the beyond. And while we may not always feel like we can welcome these guests at the front door laughing, we may be able to open the door to these parts of ourselves and experience a softening to them. My hope with 
the visualization little story that I shared earlier of these parts of yourself, and frankly, parts of myself. Perfectionism is something that I feel like I know quite fondly. Maybe you can't open the door laughing and experiencing that joy, but maybe you can open the door with a softening, with a saying, yeah, I knew you'd show up and that's okay. Being able to experience some self-compassion to these parts of you. And what I mean about self, what I mean about self-compassion is I mean a tenderness toward yourself, a loving kindness toward yourself. The same loving kindness and tenderness that you may easily give to others, but find it hard to give to yourself. So in my little story visual, I described perfectionism as one of the parts that can show up in the struggle of doing creative work. And I describe perfectionism because perfectionism is something that I'm personally very familiar with. So it's easy for me to imagine what perfectionism would look like. There can be other struggles though that people experience based on just their personality type and how they situate themselves in the context of creativity. And these different personality types can look like somebody who is um, more of a caregiver. So this would be somebody who tends to put other needs before their own and may feel like creativity is self-indulgent. And if I do that work, then I can't fully give myself to others. And so therefore I shouldn't do it at all. There's also the people who can be very intellectual and they find themselves really comfortable in the logical, rational side of their brain and may have a hard time allowing themselves the flexibility and freedom to step into creativity. There's also people who are what I would consider workhorses. These are the people that really have a hard time pausing to allow themselves to show themselves self-compassion and very likely easily getting into a place of burnout. So those are just a few examples of different ways in which different things can show up as struggles for folks beyond just perfectionism and fear and resistance and shame. So beyond this process of beginning to develop a new type of relationship, a relationship of acceptance with these different parts of us, the things that tend to show up when we're feeling creatively blocked, beyond this development of a new relationship, what are some other things that can really support the creative process and reclaiming creative flow? Do you remember when I mentioned the compass, the values compass? We have to spend time with the why. Why is this creative work important to you? Which of your values does it reflect? The answers to these questions are going to bring meaning and fuel to your creative process. When the going gets tough, and you know what? It's going to get tough. It will get tough at some point. It's important to be able to recall why you sought out to do this in the first place, to be able to pull out that values compass and identify what is the reason why I'm doing this work? What is the value that can help me move forward in that direction of being in alignment with my values as they relate to this creative work? There is a podcast episode, episode two, 
on this podcast, Holding Space, where I talk about how we may begin to define our values and I provide frameworks from which we can begin to explore our own personal values. So I would recommend going back and listening to the episode if you haven't already, or if you have, maybe listening to it again with the idea in mind of how does all this relate to my creative work. The next thing here is that we don't want to wait. Don't wait. Yes, spend time exploring your why, but also don't wait until you have had it all figured out to do the work. In a book that I recently read because I felt like everybody was reading it, I had a couple clients reading it and I'm like, what is this book? And the book is called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a... And then you can finish that sentence. In this book, it's all about values. One of the really key things that I pulled from this book though was this idea that oftentimes we feel like in any work that we're doing, but let's think about this and the idea of creative work, that we often want to first experience is inspiration. We wait for inspiration and from inspiration, then we will find the motivation to take action. So it usually goes in this linear process of inspiration, motivation, action. But in this book, they describe that instead of looking at it linearly, can we look at it more as a cycle, a cycle of inspiration, motivation, and action, which can lead to more inspiration and motivation and action. When you shift it from looking at it linearly to looking at it as a cycle, you actually discover that you can start anywhere. You can start at any point in this cycle of inspiration, motivation, and action And it's going to lead to the next piece, meaning you can just start with action. You don't have to sit around and wait for inspiration. You can just start with action. Do something. And you know what? If you can, do something every day. It can be really small. It can just be five minutes in front of the blank canvas, whatever that canvas is for you. Just do something and do something every day. You may be recalling at this point from the beginning of this episode where I mentioned that situation where you're sitting down to do the work and you can't find creative flow. This is where this idea of sitting down and taking action and doing something, but releasing yourself from the idea that this something has to be something great. Just sit down and start. Just do something. It could be total CRAP, but you're doing something. Just sit and do something and that small action will potentially lead to some inspiration which will lead to more motivation, to taking more action and so on and so forth. Just do something. This is going to seem like the obvious thing, but clean your workspace. Just seriously do it. Just clean your workspace. Let that be the small action that you do. Organizing your creative space is going to help facilitate creative flow. Be careful, though, of course, of this turning into fears, one of fear's best friends, procrastination. All right, so you don't have to spring clean your whole house. You just need to have a clean and clear space to be able to invite flow and creativity, right, and have that space to be able to do the work. Becoming comfortable with delayed gratification and discomfort. So the creative process can be long and it can be grueling. 
and the satisfying end result of having a finished manuscript or a finished painting or a finished piece of music. It can take months, years even. And if success feels far off or impossible and you quit, well, then you've sealed the fate, right? Like then you know how it's all going to end. But if you meet fear and discomfort and keep moving, bringing them along with you, you're much more likely to arrive at your desired destination. And remembering that just like creative flow isn't constant, right? We can't expect flow to be constantly flowing through us. Neither are those creative blocks. They will show up, but they're not going to be there forever. So also get comfortable with asking for help. Allow yourself to know that it's okay to ask for help. Oftentimes we can log on to social media, which we have constant easy access to, and see everybody's highlight reels and not see all of the work that went into (laughs) their highlight reel. And we don't necessarily know who's on the team, who have they hired, right? So Even those who have found success are always asking for help and pushing themselves to learn more about their craft. You don't have to be the struggling, isolated artist. You don't have to do it alone. Identify the people who are, who feel safe enough to, for you to be able to share progress with, right? People that can help you in terms of holding you accountable, Find the people that are striving for similar goals who are in it also so you can connect with them about the struggles. Who are the mentors? Who are the people that you can turn to and say, hey, how did you do this? I admire the work that you've done. Develop a community of supporters, of mentors, of people that can hold you accountable, and of people who are in it with you. Another thing here is reminding ourselves that we actually are not our craft. We are more than our creative craft. We want to nurture our creative craft, but also knowing that we are more than our art. So when when we're feeling blocked, it helps to distance yourself a little bit from your work, which feels counterintuitive to everything I just said, right? I'm like, do it every day, start with action. But also sometimes we need to Take a step, a step away and create a little bit of space, being mindful of when that need is there. Revisiting the other parts of us that bring us joy and then coming back. So sometimes what we actually need to do in that little inspiration, motivation, action cycle is the action that we need to take is potentially to step away and to rediscover inspiration in those other parts of our life and the other things that bring us joy. So do you remember that one of fears, biggest fears, was that you would be criticized? And you know what? That's totally possible. That's not something we can control. We can't control whether or not our work resonates with others or how others are going to interpret our work and whether or not we're going to be criticized. There are actually ways in which we can develop a new relationship with criticism where we use criticism and we don't let it use us. When the critiques come, and they will, decide which parts resonate and motivate, right? So identify, all right, if I'm being critiqued, it means that my work is out there, and that's the first step. 
I'm putting it out there. What parts of this, is there anything from this that I can learn from? Is, this, is there anything in this that is constructive? Okay, identify those parts. The other parts that aren't, letting them fall away. And then moving on to the bigger and better things that are already growing inside of us. And it is really helpful to be able to not do this in isolation, right? Which comes back to the other piece that I shared earlier of asking for help and identifying who those safe people are. So that when the criticism does come, you can connect with somebody and talk about it, right? From a place of vulnerability, that person can help you sort out what feels constructive and what doesn't. And if you do that, then shame can't grow. Shame can't grow under an environment in which the things that feel the most vulnerable to us are being talked about and shared with the right people. The last thing that I'll say is that we need to get comfortable with nourishing ourselves and nourishing our muse. What I mean by nourishing our muse is identifying what inspires you, making the time to engage in whatever that is. That may seem obvious, but oftentimes our lives are so busy that it leads to what I would call muse malnourishment. But we also have to take care of ourselves. We need to sleep. We need to eat. We need to move our bodies. We need to care for ourselves. If we're not nourishing our bodies and our hearts and our minds, then we're going to have a really hard time finding creative flow engaging in creativity, having the wherewithal to be able to put fear and shame and perfectionism back in its place of some of, remember, coming along for the ride, but not driving the course. I hope that you found this episode useful in some way, shape, or form. If you take anything from this episode, I would say to take the idea that there are these parts of you and they're trying to serve a purpose, they're trying to protect you. Fear, perfectionism, shame, they're trying to keep you safe. But if creativity is something that you value, if creativity is something that you want to embark on, bring those parts along with you, recognizing that you do have a compass. There is power and magic inside of you. And sometimes you just got to take action. You just got to do the thing first. And through that thing, inspiration may come, more motivation may come. You also don't have to do it alone. Find the right people, but also recognize when you need a break and take a step aside to refuel and nourish yourself, nourishing you and your muse. You guys, there's so much magic inside of you. I'm, I really hope that something in this episode resonated and that you're feeling inspired to step into the work. If you enjoyed the episode, a great way to provide feedback is to leave a review, throw the podcast some stars, subscribe. I'm going to be posting questions related to this episode on social media at Holding Space Podcast. So make sure that you follow along there because that's a great way to give direct feedback or share any questions you have or any personal experiences that resonate with the theme of today's episode. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen and I will have a new episode ready for you next week. 
You've been listening to Holding Space Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the information that was shared in this episode. If you did, you might want to subscribe and be the first to hear about future episodes as soon as they air. Thank you so much for sharing this space with me. Have a great day. Thank you.